Another issue that uh, uh, created a lot of discussion among us was not so hard for us from the Christian church background, that was baptism. At least one element of it. In Campus Crusade, of course, baptism was not necessary. The way that you became a Christian was to pray a prayer, uh, say that prayer, and then you're, you're saved. Baptism was something that you might do if you were going to join a church. But of course, the fathers have a whole different perspective about baptism, that, and the scriptures do too, frankly. The baptism is the normal means by which we are brought into union with Christ and are therefore an essential sacramental part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. But try telling that to a Baptist. And so beginning about 1976, the churches associated with the NCAO began to baptize people as they would come into the church. Now for those of us in the Christian church, that was... You know, no big deal, because we did that all the time anyway. We believed that the only way you could be saved was to be baptized and be baptized uh, by immersion as an adult believer. Now, that created a rather interesting situation later on, uh, but uh, that was important. Another thing I want to stress in these years was beginning developments of community life. I had mentioned earlier that uh, the cold, as Father Richard described it in his booklet, the answer to coming in from the cold was to come into a committed community of people, of people who, who shared their lives together. And one of the things that began to develop in multiple locations around the country were intentional communities, that is, uh, where the people of the church would uh, choose voluntarily to live in the same neighborhood so that they could share their lives together day in and day out. Not just being something that happens on a Sunday, once a week, but be something that is an everyday experience. Here in Eagle River, for example, um, Father Mark mentioned last night that the, you know, within just a mile or so of here are about 200 members of the, uh, of the church. Uh, in other places, Isla Vista, California, a community of people grew, grew up there. In Memphis, Tennessee, in Midtown uh, Memphis, a community there. Jackson, Mississippi. Gary, Indiana, where we were, we had a, an intentional community in a ra rather rotten neighborhood, but we intended to be there to minister to the people there. In uh, Indianapolis, Indiana, and, and so on. Many places around the country in fact, that became one of, one of the defining characteristics of, of what we were about in those days. Not the only thing, and not even by the time we finished the central thing, but an important part of our understanding of what the church was, was that we were supposed to be together. That it's not Lone Rangers, me and Jesus by ourselves, but rather that we needed each other and we needed connection to each other. We needed to practically express love for each other. And we needed to do that visibly day in and day out and not just on a whim. And so that desire for community created a lot of other kinds of dynamics in our midst, some of which were very positive and some of which were opened us up for some criticism from uh, other, other folks. And I'll talk more about that next time. I still 
value that community life and community experience. Although where I am now, we don't have it. And not having it makes me want it all the more when, when we see it, that sense of, of connection to people. Father Harold used to say, if there's somebody between you and your church member neighbor, you, you, it's too far. you got to be next door. <laughs> and, uh, and there is something to be said about that, you know, something to be said for that, that, that love and connection. Now, love and connection means sometimes struggle, right? Uh, just like you do in your family. Uh, living under the same roof, you're going to have uh, conflict. Brothers and sisters fight all the time. They might love each other dearly, but they fight, right? And the same thing kind of happens sometimes when you live in close proximity to each other. You Iron sharpens iron, and you rub off on each other, and, and uh, one has to find a way to bring about a resolution to conflict, and one also has to um, you know, be pointed to Christ consistently uh, through that. Part of the development in those years was, uh, you know, fo following John Braun's explication about the government of the church, the bishops, priests, pr presbyters, deacons, and so forth, was to come up with a concrete, practical way by which that care could be worked out, where the government of the church could actually the rule of Christ can be brought into the lives of, of, um, of people and uh, conflicts uh, resolved and uh, discipline given when it needed to be given. One of the things we were criticized for roundly later on was our excommunicating people who violated the fundamental tenets of the faith. I remember one situation where a, a young man came to me and said he wanted to move in with his girlfriend and I said, if you do, you're no longer part of the communion of the church. And, and uh, he did, and he wasn't. Well, you're limiting my freedom. So no, you have plenty of freedom to do that, but you don't have freedom to do that here. That's your choice, you see. And, and one of the things that we were strong about in those years was to point people toward godliness. And we, we tended to be maximalists. At least we thought of ourselves that way. I, you know, I've come to wonder whether we really were or whether it's possible to be. Because I'm lazy enough that I, <laughs> I don't ever live maximally. <laughs> but our ideal was that our whole life was going to be given into the hands of Christ. And that meant everything. That meant my finances weren't my own. Not that I was going to... Not that the church would take over all the finances for everyone. That wasn't what we were talking about at all. But the idea that my finances should be under the lordship of Christ. And that means that I need to, at minimum, tithe. And as Father Gordon Walker often says, and that's just for starters. <laughs> there's the offerings part. And then there's the discipline that has to come come in sometimes, where, where there is someone who is unrepentant in sin and that has to be had to be dealt with and so we we uh, wrestled with those uh, issues in those days as well